Well, I, I'm glad you're here today. I want to invite you this morning to, to take your Bible, and I want you to turn to, with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Some of you are going to think, that doesn't sound like a Christmas passage. Well, when I get through, it might, it may not. I'm not sure, but that's where we're going to be. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to share some thoughts with you this morning that God has kind of burdened my heart about, and I want to, when I was planning all this, this was actually supposed to be last week, so... Um, what happened to me this weekend really doesn't apply to this, but it kind of maybe confirms in my heart what I think God wants me to say. I went to a conference this weekend. It was uh, Friday, actually Thursday evening and Friday. It uh, was called America Renewal, and it was a group of guys calling pastors together to challenge pastors about where we are in our country, the culture, obviously. There were some political overtones to it. But primarily, it was a call for pastors to challenge their people with truth, the truth of the gospel. What came out of that was something that I have felt in my heart for some time, church, and I think things I've shared with you, that the real challenge in our nation today is not economics, it's not political, it's spiritual. But this was phrased in a way a little different than I was used to. Mike Huckabee was there. He's, I don't tell you, uh, I don't think there's a better preacher, speaker, whatever in the world, Mike Huckabee. Uh, and others were there. And I want to tell you what I came away with. I came away convinced of this, that in our nation today, our, the problem with our nation is the church. You understand that, I hope. Lost people are doing what lost people do, what they've always done. They're, they're the normal. The problem is our churches, our pastors primarily, the leaders. But I came away with this burning in my heart, that on most Sundays, unregenerate messages are being preached to unregenerate church members, trying to convince them that they're regenerated that they're okay, that everything's fine. And so they leave out on any given Sunday when the services are over. And they walk through the doors and they go right back to the same slop that they were living in before they came to church. That there's no difference in their lives. There's no burning conviction in their heart. There's no desire of holiness and righteousness burning within them so that they might change something in their life to reflect the grace and the glory of God in their life. And the only result of that can be is that we have an increasing larger number of people that really and truly don't know what it means to be saved to be what we Baptists like to call born again, what theologians would say, regenerated. And so today and next week, I'm, I'm going to share some things that I think may challenge you just a little bit in your theology. If you're, and I'm, I'm going to be all messed up in my notes, so we're just going to flow, and we'll end up about 2 o'clock. Remember, I didn't get to preach last week, okay? But let me tell you, I, I think gang, 
that, that until we understand the claims of grace and understand what grace really is, we're going to have increasingly large numbers of church members that really don't know Christ. Now, they may think they do, and there may be times when a preacher will get up and tickle their ears to make them think they do. But until they understand what salvation really is, they're not. And as a result of that, they're never really going to understand and experience what Christmas really is. In Matthew's account, when he was writing about the birth of the Lord, he wrote down what the angel said, and, and, and here's what the angel said. She will bear a son. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save not the world. He shall save his people from their sins. That's what Christmas is all about, folks. God's people knowing that they have been saved from their sins. Christmas is about the preciousness of God saving his people. I know we've turned it, and I, and I understand we, we've twisted it all. Today it's far different than what was intended it to be. But the bottom line of Christmas is the people of God knowing that they have been saved, what Christ did not in a manger, but what Christ did on a cross for them. Christmas is about the people of God. The key word the angel used there was the word saved. He shall save his people. Now, if you were to ask different people what it means to be saved, well, some would say, well, it means to escape hell, and it means to go to heaven, and that's certainly part of it, but it's not the heart of it. When you begin reading about the doctrine of salvation, theologians tend to take that word salvation. They try to categorize it a little bit, and they'll say things like justification, They'll say sanctification, and then they'll talk about glorification. That's what I want to do for the next... Actually, it was supposed to be three weeks, so we'll probably go two hours this week and two hours next week. I'm teasing. I want to talk to you about justification today. It's going to be in our passage. And next week, we'll combine sanctification with glorification. The key word is salvation. Now, the idea behind salvation is the idea of deliverance now when we talk about deliverance it deliverance means to be saved from something and to be saved to something if Jesus came to save his people then I think a good question would be saved from what and saved to what I think the best illustration of that perhaps in the Bible is the nation of Israel they were saved out of bondage into liberation. They were saved from Egypt into the promised land. In other words, to be saved, you're out of something 
And you're indecisive. In fact, in the book of Judges, the angel of the Lord said, I brought you out to lead you in. So if salvation is to be let out and to be let in, and theologians take that word salvation and say justification, which could be easily salvation past, sanctification, which is salvation present, glorification is, is salvation future. That's all what we're looking for. How does that shake out? Well, let's take our Bibles. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. And let's read beginning verse 13 and read through verse 15, okay? And I'll tell you a little bit about the context after we read this, okay? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. If you're Like we talked to preteens, if you're there, say amen. They're better than you guys. All right. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, now notice, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he, notice, called you through our gospel. Why? That you may gain the glory of our Lord. That's glorification. And then in verse 15, it's kind of the result. It's kind of a, so then, guys, because we've got this justification and this sanctification and ultimately this glorification, brethren, here's what you do. You stand firm here. Stand firm. I, I want to tell you, stand firm, church. Is it bad? Oh, yeah, it's kind of bad out there. It's always been bad. It'll always be bad, especially as we get closer to the return of our Lord. But what are we to do? We're to stand firm. We're to hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Father, this is really important stuff. And it may challenge us some of the, with some of the things that we've grown up with. But God, this is Bible truth. This isn't nursery rhyme stuff. These verses spell out the difference between heaven and hell. And if the church is indeed lost, as so many people say today, then the church needs to hear this so that the church, who may be the local church, perhaps made up of unregenerate, might be made up of regenerate. So the church might be what the church intend, God intended the church to be. A mighty army sounding forth the message of truth. And God, I believe in this day needed as much as in any day needed the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Help me, God, today, Father. Help me, Father, with, with holy boldness, with 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 compassion of a pastor, but God, with the voice of a prophet, if it be possible, to share the truth of the gospel of grace in this hour we need. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks. Be seated. Let me, let me set the context for why Paul shifts gears in chapter 2, verse 13. The people of Thessalonica... We're going through a very, very difficult time. Uh, Christians in Thessalonica were being slaughtered. 
We're being persecuted. I, I, read, a, I read an article just the other day where in Central Africa, uh, a pastor writes, they're slaughtering us like chickens. That's what's happening in today's world. Well, that was what was happening in Thessalonica. It was a bad time. And somehow, because the pressure was so bad and the persecution was so bad, somehow this word started going around that Jesus had come, the day of the Lord had come, and they had missed it. And so they're having all of these problems in their life, and they're saying, we've even missed Jesus' return. And I'm sure they were asking themselves, what good is it? If he's come, why should I live for him if I've missed it? So Paul writes to them in the first chapter and first half of chapter 2 is incredible. He said you hadn't missed anything. You hadn't missed the Lord. This is all part of God's sovereign grace plan. It's all part of what God is doing. So when he comes to our verses today beginning in verse 13, he's writing them to tell them the beauty of salvation. He wants them to know how precious it is, even if they're suffering, it's precious to be part of God's elect. There's something sweet about being part of God's chosen people. Sometimes we get freaked out about the word elect, yet it's filled, in the new, filled with scriptures in the New Testament about don't freak out. It means that if you're saved, you're part of God's chosen people there's something precious, amen, about being part of God's chosen people. Now, did you notice in the verses I read how justification and sanctification are mentioned? Paul's wanting them to know, I don't care how bad it gets, gang. I don't care how bad the pressure is, how bad the persecution is. Salvation is totally holy, belonging to the Lord. It's by His initiative. It's by his sovereign work in your It's nothing about man. It's all about God. Now today we're going to talk about justification by faith alone. That's the, that's the foundation of what being born again is all about. Next week we'll talk about sanctification. And then if we have time we'll kick ourselves up to glory and we'll talk about glorification. What does it mean to be justified? Well, I want you to look at verse 13. And then verse 14, notice what he says in verse 13. God has what? Chosen you. When did that happen? From the beginning. That's going to rock some of your world today because you didn't grow up with this. You've, if you've been here, you've heard it. But you may not, as a child, have heard much of it. Verse 14, God has called you through the gospel. Now I want you to listen to me for a moment. Most of us have grown up in a church culture with the idea that salvation was based upon a decision by man to accept or reject God on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. That salvation work was accomplished by God through the sacrificing of his son. So God, in a sense, enables man, but the final decision it rests with man. Some have even said man casts the final vote. One has said that man decides if he wants to accept the merits of Christ's death. And I want to say to you unequivocally, very clearly today, and you listen to me, that's unbiblical. Salvation's not a decision. Salvation is a response of what a holy God has done upon the cross. And when he makes that known to you, you receive the grace of what God has done. Through the blood sacrifice 
on the cross. The reason we have all this junk going around and people think they're okay because they think they can be saved based upon their decision anytime they want. And they remove the work of the Holy Spirit in convicting the heart of sin and convincing that of repentance and faith in Christ alone. And that's heresy when we go that other route. And probably most of you, if you're like me, you grew up in it. I grew up in it. You see, I thought salvation was something that's centered in man. I grew up thinking it was something that man does. But I've come to realize, and I've preached to you over the years, salvation is what God does. And man responds to his gracious call. Therefore, he gets the glory and the exaltation because it's not about you and me at all. It's about God. And listen, this Christmas season, it's not about you at all either. It's about God. The babe in the manger is just the starting point of a historical event that ended up at Calvary. When the babe in the manger grew to become the Savior who died on the cross, you see, we have the idea that God, through the death of Christ on the cross, enables man to be saved, if man chooses to be saved. But the Bible never says God is an enabler, dear people. In fact, Jesus says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. God doesn't enable. God affects conversion. Enablement is not the gospel. It renders inadequate the work of the cross. The gospel is that God alone saves. Just like the angel said, he shall do what? Enable his people to be saved? Make it possible for... No. He shall save his people from their sin. You see, gang, any involvement of man, even the slightest part, down to the smallest cell or particle of his being, any part that man is included in is not salvation. It's not right. It's heresy, you see. It's a deception that we think, hey, I'm saved because I walked an aisle, or I'm saved because I went through the waters of baptism. I'm saved because I'm a Baptist. We're going to be shocked that there may actually be some Assembly of God people in heaven, huh? See? Salvation is from the Lord through the gracious call of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It's a deception I think sometimes we weave to people thinking we're okay or they're okay when all of hell is staring them in the face. Now what does it mean when we talk about justified by faith alone through grace alone? Well, I want you to notice two things from our scripture today. Okay? And I, I, let me tell you, it, it's challenging, I understand. But if we can somehow get our head around it, it's going to rock your... You talk about a rocking Christmas. It'll give you a Christmas like you've never had. When you think that God in His grace would claim you for Himself, not based upon anything in you, any goodness in you, any work of you, any merit in you, simply because of His choice of you, it'll absolutely rock your Christmas. You'll have a rock and roll Christmas like you've never had in your life. Look at verse 13 for just a moment, okay? Divine initiation. It's what, verse 
13 talks about. Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. The beauty of God's electing love is not based upon any merit of those who receive it. Let me tell you something, gang. That's very important because that means nobody's bad enough to miss it. Tony, you are a, a renegade. There are stories floating out around you that I might even put on Fox News. Do you know what, Tony? You're not bad enough, dude, to miss it. His grace was sufficient, wasn't it? Let me tell you something else, Mr. and Mrs. Good Baptist. You're not good enough to earn it. That's what this electing love is all about. Nobody's bad enough to miss it. Nobody's good enough to earn it. Ephesians 1.4 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. 2 Timothy 1.9, the Bible says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Get your head around it, church. I know it's hard in a sense. But when Paul wrote from the beginning, you know what he meant? He meant from before time began. Hello? From before time in eternity past. And I understand we may struggle with, with that in our self-effort salvation. Again, let me ask you something. Do you think God's capable of doing whatever he wants to do? Whenever he wants to do it? To whoever he wants to do it? Huh? If he desires it, he can do what he doesn't have to get our approval. He doesn't have to go through the Baptist faith and message to make it happen. God does it when God wants to, because He's God. And He doesn't need us to come alongside and encourage Him. He's God. The Bible says salvation belongs to the Lord. Now listen, God didn't have to save. He was under no obligation to save, but He chose to save. And when he chose to save, he set forth the terms of salvation, and he chose to bring it to pass through Emmanuel, God in the flesh, through a manger in Bethlehem. And it was all his idea. And beloved, if you get that down, you can have yourself a Merry Christmas like you've never had. Divine initiation. Look at verse 14. Divine declaration. It was for this, notice he, he chose you in eternity past, but there was a moment in your historical time. Tony, can I pick on you again, brother? How old were you when it came, when it, the light bulb came on? 40. Man, what are you, 60 now? No. <laughs> 54. 40 years of age. But in eternity past, you were his, you didn't know it. But at the age of 40, he was called and he responded. My father-in-law, at the age of 80, died at 83. 80 years of age, all of a sudden, for the first time in his life, the light bulb went on and he said, I get it. How could he get it at 84 when for 79 years he never got it? Because God called. When God calls, people respond and people are changed. And if people aren't being changed across our country in our church services with mealy-mouthed preachers not preaching truth, then you get what we got, you see. Divine declaration. He chose you 
and he calls you. What a beautiful way to express Christmas love to his children. When in the fullness of time, when it was your time, he declared you justified. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me define. I, I wish we had time, and we could, we could be here for hours. Overtime. I get paid overtime, yeah. Someone said I only get paid for a couple hours on Sunday anyway, okay? What does it mean to be justified? Well, let me define it as quickly as I can. A declaration by God. Now, literally, it's a, it's a legal declaration, but it's a declaration by God. I want you to listen. A declaration by God that you are righteous, that God accepts you, that God is in your camp. He's on your team. That's a week's way of saying it. God accepts you as righteous, but not based upon your self-righteousness, based upon the righteousness of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of his declaration of justified, he deposits into your soul his righteousness. It's deposited into your account. <coughs> do we remain sinners? Sure, we do. But in God's eyes, by virtue of Christ's perfect holiness, we are considered just and right in the sight of God. What a Christmas present for those who get it, who understand it, who receive it. Christ is the just and the justifier. Through his work and perfect sacrifice, dear people, their satisfaction, God accepts the sacrifice. He looked at his son and he said, enough, I accept it. And the son sat down at the right hand of the father. There is substitution because it should have been you and it should have been me, but it was him and God accepts it. There's sufficiency. There's not one more drop of blood that has to be dropped. God said, I accept. Jesus said to Telestai, it is finished. And beloved, it was over. And it was enough to take away all of your sin and to impute into you his righteousness. For by grace are you saved. What does it do for us? What does justification do for us? Let me just give you a few things I jotted down, and then we'll blow this joint, okay? First thing I wrote down is that it crushes pride. You see, when you're filled up with a self-salvation, my idea of salvation, then there's a chance, a really good chance, a chance that you'll exalt yourself. Salvation doesn't exalt you. It exalts God. Why would God? Why would, I knew what I was going to be preaching today. And for the last two days, I look in the mirror and say, God, why would you do that for me? Why me? I know me. I wouldn't do that for me. But God somehow in his grace decided to do that for me. Who gets the glory? God. Oh, the doctrines of grace exalt the name of God. Because it's all about him. It exalts God magnificently. Listen, when he drove, when he, when he brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, he said, I didn't choose you because you were good. I didn't choose you because you were strong. I didn't choose you because you were some military mind. I just chose you because I loved you. Why am I saved? Because 
God loves me. And if you're saved, God loves you. It produces joy. People are looking for joy, spending all kinds of money for get joy, and they go spend money that they don't have in their bank account to buy junk stuff that lasts about three months, trying to give joy. Joy comes from God. It's manufactured in heaven. It's through the gospel of grace. Joy comes. It promotes holiness. Now listen to me. This is important. The reason our churches are filled with lost people is because they don't understand that when God saves, God creates in you a, an incredible desire of righteousness. and holy. There's no greater motivation for following God than, than knowing that he chose you and you want to be part of his forever family, that you have repented of your sin. And by faith, you've embraced Christ. And there's this thirst that you can't get enough. There's this hunger that you can't get enough to be holy in his sight because he chose you in holiness. And it provides security. I think the reason Paul was writing so much to this church that was going to go on so much problems is because they thought they'd miss God. They thought that they, it wasn't worth it, that, that, that they were not going to heaven. But again, when Paul wrote to them, he said, oh, no, 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 you got it wrong. He's chosen you in eternity from the beginning. He's called you through his grace. You're saved and you're secure, not based upon your badness you're based upon his righteousness man gang do you understand what security i have to tell you I, for those who believe you can lose yourself i feel so sorry for him i'd hate to know that every time i said a, a wordy dirt you know i'd lose my salvation my salvation is not based upon me it's based upon him and it glorifies him and it secures you now i want you to bow your head for just a moment okay I know probably some of this may be a little challenging. If our guests, it may be challenging to you. I understand that. The fact is, this is what the gospel is. And this is what the Word of God says. And I think the question we ought to ask ourselves right now is, hey, is this part of my life? Have I responded to the call, the repentance of sin? Unless you repent, the Bible says, ye shall all likewise perish. By faith in him. Whosoever shall believe shall have, ever, have everlasting life. Is that true in your life? Can you state that here today, that if you died, you'd wake up and open your eyes in the presence of God in heaven? Do you know that? Father, right now, in these next few moments, God, show us truth. Because only truth sets us free. That our nation so desperately needs to have truth living in the hearts of sinners. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's